Chapter 5 of Life of St. Gerard Mayella. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Valeria. Life of St. Gerard Mayella by Reverend O. R. Vassal Phillips. His Extraordinary Gifts some little time before st gerard's profession father caffaro ceased to be rector at iliceto he was succeeded by father fiocchi it was during father fiocchi's rectorate that the holy brother commenced the long series of prodigies terminated only by death which entitled him to rank in the splendour of supernatural endowments with such marvellous saints as saint joseph Cupertino and christian the wonderful some of the events that we are about to relate are indeed of an astounding character but they all rest upon uncontrovertible evidence they all or almost all can be paralleled in the lives of the saints and they all preach in a tongue that the most obtuse can hardly fail to understand the sovereign power of the lord our god who was pleased in this mysterious manner to exalt even here below his humble and faithful servant one day when gerard was out walking with two young countrymen they came upon a church dedicated to the holy mother of god the saint at once welcomed the opportunity of speaking to his companions on the incomparable dignity of our blessed lady scarcely had the sweet name of mary fallen from his lips that his countenance appeared aflame and he seemed as one transfigured then taking a pencil and a piece of paper he wrote something and threw it into the air as though it were a letter addressed to the queen of heaven a vigorous bound accompanied this singular action and immediately there ensued what is called by writers of mystical theology the ecstatic flight his companions suddenly saw him raised from the ground in their presence and miraculously carried through the air for more than half a mile gerard came down to earth again only to work a fresh miracle this time a miracle of charity and healing on reaching the door of his convent he found awaiting his return a young man with a gangrened leg this poor sufferer had with great difficulty been brought to iliceto that he might there in person recommended himself to the prayers of the servant of god the fame of whose sanctity had been now widely noised abroad no sooner did he see gerard that he cried out sobbing that he could no longer labour for his daily bread 
and was thus compelled, against his will, to lead the life of a beggar. Touched to the heart, the saint asked to see the diseased leg. It was swathed round and round with bandages. Saint Gerard carefully removed the rubs and perceived at once that the flesh was being eaten away by a frightful cancer. Then, calling to mind the example set him by great servants of God who had in their own day performed this same miracle of charity, he applied his lips to the wound and commenced to suck forth all its venom. Our Lord is not one to leave such heroism as this without its due reward. Confidence in God, my brother, cried the saint. You will soon be well again. He then carefully dried the sore place and bandaged it with clean linen. At that moment, the pain ceased. The young man, full of thankfulness and joy, cast himself at the feet of Gerard to thank him for his great goodness, calling him a saint from on high and an angel messenger sent by God's loving kindness to his children. But the holy brother would have no thanks. The thanks were due to God alone. Let him show his gratitude by leading a truly virtuous life for the time to come. However, the poor man was not to be stayed. When next morning he found that his leg was perfectly healed, he proclaimed his wonderful cure to whole Emet so that the whole town soon rang with the news. It was not so long after entering the congregation that Brother Gerard, though sacristan at the time, was directed to see the ones of four young clerics who were making their retreat in the house in preparation for ordination. In the discharge of this duty, he went one day to the stranger's refectory to prepare the table for dinner. Now, in this refectory hung a picture of how Lord represented as the Ecce Homo. The moment that Gerard's eyes met those of his divine master, they were immovably fixed. His arms became extended. His body was motionless as a corpse. He remained as though lifeless, in the position in which he had been overcome by the visitation of God, a fork in one hand, a napkin in the other. Soon a second lay brother appeared on the scene, noticing that the table was not yet laid and that Gerard did not steer, he commenced to call him, but in vain. There was no answer, no sign of life. He was then naturally somewhat alarmed and called some other brothers to the spot. They all likewise began to try and awaken Gerard, 
all was to no purpose. At last, the father rector was summoned. He shook the servant of God by the arm and gave him an obedience to come to himself. In his ecstasies, obedience was the only force that could recall him to his earth. So soon as obedience spoke, the ecstasy always ceased. This is the infallible sign of the good spirit, the one test by which the gift of God may be discerned from its diabolic counterfeit. On this occasion, in order to preserve Gerard in deep humility and to guard him with the greatest security against all danger of delusion, the father rector gave the holy brother a sharp rebuke and told him to get to his work at once. Saint Gerard, dumbfounded at being thus discovered, whilst in the unrestrained enjoyment of the intimacies of heaven, accepted the reproof with joy. Blame he always looked upon as his due. In his own sight he was not worthy to be allowed to speak to God in lowly prayer, still less to be wrapped in ecstatic contemplation. This he never coveted or sought in any way. But it would have been entirely beyond his power to withstand either in body or soul the imperious operations of the Holy Spirit of God. He could but leave himself as a passive instrument in his Creator's hands. This was not the only occasion that a mere glance at some representation of the passion sufficed to throw him into an ecstasy. One Good Friday, the first after his profession, a large picture of the crucifixion was carried through the streets of the little town of Corato. Now Gerard changed to be in Corato at the time and when in the course of its appointed route the procession entered the benedictine church it passed by the spot where he was on his knees in prayer at the thought of the sufferings of our most holy redeemer thus vividly brought before his sight saint gerard was seized with an uncontrollable transport of heavenly love he swooned away in ecstasy and in presence of all the assembled people was raised off the earth a considerable distance above the ground his gaze fixed steadfastly the while on the sorrowful countenance of his crucified saviour as david danced before the ark of the ancient covenant so did gerard living under the new law sometimes manifest his joy in the far deeper consolations with which he was favored by his lord a blind beggar came one day to the convent playing the flute and asking an alms gerard requested him to play the italian air 
set to the words of the hymn written by Saint Alphonsus, beginning thus, Tis thy good pleasure, not mine own, in thee, my God, I love alone, and nothing I desire of thee but what thy goodness wills for me. O will of God, O will divine, all, all our love be ever thine. No sooner had the minstrel commenced that an inebriation of heavenly love overcame Saint Girard. He suddenly commenced to dance and bound in the air, repeating over and over again, Tis thy good pleasure, not mine own. In thee, my God, I love alone. Then, all at once, he raised himself from the ground with the rapidity of an arrow going straight to its mark. His eyes turned towards heaven. He remained for some time absolutely unsupported in mid-air, in an ecstasy of love. On another occasion, in the course of conversation with Father Strina, a man well known for his devotion to the divine infant, Gerard said to him, jokingly, You have no love for the divine infant. And you, retorted Father Strina, you have no love for the Madonna. This was too much for Saint Gerard, on the instant taken out of himself by heavenly love, and strengthened with a supernatural strength, he seized on the astonished Father Strina, and began to dance with him round and round, raising him from the ground with the ease which one would raise a wisp of straw. Thus was this humbly brother, while yet detained on earth in the body of this dead, freed from that control of the senses over the spirit, of matter over the freedom of heavenly contemplation, which ordinarily weights poor mortals down beneath its weight during their sojourn here below. Gerard soared to heaven, not only on the wings of the prayer of faith, but by a rare privilege. He oftentimes carried his body with him in his upward flight. Another grace bestowed upon our saint was his knowledge of events which had passed at a distance and concerning which he had no natural means of information. He was thus supernaturally apprised of the tragic death of the priest who had baptized him in infancy. This worthy ecclesiastic, having been assassinated in the streets of Muro, Gerard, on the very day of the murder, told the sorrowful news to three of his fellow citizens. Let one of them tell the story in his own words. I was, at that time, pursuing my studies in Naples, he writes, and Gerard, 
used often to come in the evening, and we would say our rosary together. One night he seemed quite sad and crushed with despondency. I asked him the reason of his trouble. My dear Pascal was his answer. I am grieved to think that our archpriest has just been assassinated. Assassinated, I rejoined. That is out of the question. It is only a few hours ago that I received a letter from home. They would have told me if that had happened. However, Gerard persisted that there was no doubt about the fact, and I heard afterward that the murder had been committed the very day on which he had assured me of his occurrence. By a divine light, he often read the secrets of hearts. Even when at a distance from his superiors, he was oftentimes acquainted with their unspoken thoughts whenever these had any reference to his own conduct. This marvelous gift was repeatedly manifested during the course of his life. It was first discovered by his rector, Father Fiocchi, in the following manner. He had sent the wonderful brother with a document to Lacedonia. Gerard had already proceeded some distance on his way, when Father Fiocchi remembered that he had forgotten something of importance in his letter. What a pity, he said to himself, that I cannot bring Brother Gerard back. This expression of his superior's will, purely mental thought it was, sufficed for our saint. Almighty God was pleased mysteriously to reveal it to his servant, who at once retraced his steps. On his return to the house, Father Fiocchi asked him in surprise what had made him come back so soon. Saint Gerard said nothing, but only smiled, thus causing the rector to understand that he was there in obedience to his secret wish. Henceforth, whenever Father Fiocchi desired to give Gerard an order, if he was not with him at the time, he gave the command silently in his own mind. This was enough. He was always obeyed as though he had spoken aloud. On one occasion, the Father Rector was conversing at Melfi with the Bishop of the Diocese on the life of extraordinary sanctity that was led by Saint Gerard. The Bishop had heard of the Holy Brother and for some time had been desirous of forming his acquaintance. He now said that he would gladly send a special messenger to bring him to the palace. That will not be necessary, said Father Fiocchi. I have but to tell him mentally to come, and he will soon be here. Your lordship will thus see how far disobedience reaches, and how specially he is favored by Almighty God. 
at the same moment in the convent, far away at home, Gerard understood of a sudden that his father rector desired his presence. Accordingly, having obtained the necessary permission and given his reason for going to the father in charge of the house, he set off for Melfi. On arriving at the Episcopal Palace, he found the father rector with the bishop. Father Fiocchi pretended to be displeased at his coming and asked him stiffly what brought him there. It was your reverence's wish, simply answered Gerard. What? exclaimed Father Fiocchi. My wish? I never wrote to you and I sent you no messenger. Nevertheless, was the reply, nevertheless, your reverence was pleased to give me a formal obedience to come to you. The bishop wishes to speak with me. Allay! Who am I that anyone should wish to speak with me? I am only a worm of the earth, a sinner, a full wretched, who have the greatest need of all the mercy of God. Under normal circumstances, a redemptorist lay brother hardly ever sleeps outside his convent walls, excepting in those countries where a brother accompanies the fathers to do the domestic work of the house in which they may be lodging during the time of mission. St. Gerard, however, was to be an exception to the ordinary rule. God had called him to the heights of contemplation and infused into his soul the most sublime lights on the deepest mysteries of our holy religion. He was endowed with the spirit of prophecy. The future was often unrolled as an open scroll before his eyes however seemingly impossible was refused his prayer he worked miracles of healing almost as easily with as little effect as others discharge the ordinary functions of life all these gratuitous gifts of god were not designed to be hidden in a napkin they had been bestowed upon him more for the sake of others than for his own. He was to be a beacon light proclaiming to the tempest-tossed mariner cast on the billows of life's angry ocean the closeness of God in the midst of the storm, the nearness of the unseen heaven of the everlasting rest. Thus, divine providence arranged that for the remainder of his life, St. Gerard should be much into the busy haunts of man. The house at Iliceto was in such poverty that it became absolutely necessary unless either the foundation was to be abandoned altogether or the community be exposed to the danger of dying of starvation that an appeal should be made for outside help. In this emergency, Gerard, 
was sent out by his superiors to quest, that is, to solicit alms for the support of his convent. Everywhere he was received by the people with open arms. All had the warmest of welcomes for him wherever he went. It was felt that when Gerard visited a house, there came by his side a blessing to abide where he had rested, as a gracious presence, even after his bodily departure. The blessing of the peace of God, which he brought, to remain with faithful souls, who responded to his appeals in the name and for the love of Jesus Christ. Indeed, his coming excited such enthusiasm among the warm-hearted people of southern Italy that the only difficulty was to restrain their generosity within due bounds. Ladies wished to give him their earrings. Men who had nothing else desired to cut the very buttons often so valuable in Italy off their clothes that they might give unto the Lord and his servant that which cost them something. As he passed along his way, people knelt to receive his benediction and cried out to one another, The saint, the saint is coming! Here is the saint! Still, Brother Gerard's humility remained as profound as ever. Unmoved by the applause of man, he reposed all his confidence in God alone. No breath of pride was suffered to dim the luster of his virtue. No uprising of self-complacency permitted to cloud the serenity of his childlike spirit. Through the light that he received from above, his own nothingness was never absent from his sight. Considering the abundance of the divine gifts which had been lavished so freely upon his soul, he marvelled at what he deemed his base ingratitude. Like St. Francis of Assisi, he looked upon himself as the last and least of men, and found his peace in his own abjection. End of chapter 5 Recording by Valeria